Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, we'll just be talking about uh, some questions, I'll be answering some questions that have been sent in via the suggestion form I put up on Discord. If you want to um, suggest some things, I'll leave it in the description of whatever you're watching on YouTube or the, uh, I forgot what the <laughs> platform I put it on, but I'll put it in the description of the podcast. So I've been sent a few questions by people, and I'll be giving them credit. Um, really questions and just suggestions for episodes, things that can be done pretty quickly, so I'm going to be combining them. First question is, do pets go to heaven? Uh, this is from Football Fan, and best way I can answer this is, I don't know. We don't know what God's specific stance is on pets being in heaven. And that's completely okay. Bible doesn't specifically say anything about it, and we can be assured that God did the right thing for them. So many may argue for or against this point. Um, some may say they do, for sure. Some may say they don't. But really, my stance is, I don't know. I take really a neutral stance because there isn't clear teaching on it. There isn't clear... Um, affirmation but it's we can still be assured that God is completely just and he will deal with everyone justly and that includes animals so there are some passages that point to animals being in heaven this is Isaiah 65 a passage in there Proverbs 12 and Genesis 7 and Genesis 7 is obviously the flood so um, I'll read I won't read Genesis 7, but I will read some of the uh, verses in Isaiah and Proverbs. So, this Isaiah passage is a prophecy of the new heavens and the new earth. And so, I will read this specific part in it where it talks of, it says, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in my all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So, obviously, you could make a case for that being figurative, but I don't think that's figurative. Um, so, it's talking about the wolf and the lamb. Obviously, the wolf hunts the lamb now, but it's saying they'll be unified. They'll graze together. They'll eat together. Um, and then the lion shall eat straw like the ox, so the lion won't hunt the ox. And does shall be the serpent's food. Now, this is because, um, you know, God cursed the serpent when Adam and Eve fell, when they ate of the tree. And then it says, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. So, they won't destroy humans. They won't destroy any of his creation. So, that kind of points, maybe not to heaven, that definitely could be in heaven, you know, saying that they do have a spot in the new heavens and the new earth. But then again, it could just be the new earth. So, I don't know. But it is it is saying that they do, they will be unified, they will be together. Now, this verse in Proverbs says, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. So, um, this is a proverb, obviously. This is wisdom. And it's talking about whoever 
has regard for the life of his beast, whoever cares for his animal, for his pet, whatever it may be, probably referring to like mules or donkeys or horses or uh, probably dogs too, that included dogs, because at this time, you know, they used animals a lot for work and labor and um, crops. And so it's saying the righteous man regards the life of the beast. He cares for him. He feeds him. He does things to help him. So obviously this is showing that you are to care for animals just as God has cared for animals. So then we move on to Genesis 7. And I'm not going to read all of this. I don't think there's really any specific verses I can point out, but it talks of animals being loaded onto the uh, onto the ark. They're going onto the ark, showing that God does care for his, all of his creation, not just humans. And saying how they, you know, they were protected. They were protected in the ark. They bred mightily. They multiplied on the earth after the ark, after the flood, I mean. And so we see that there is regard for animals. There is a great and healthy respect for animals in the Bible. Now, with that being said, there are other reasons why pets might not be in heaven. They don't have the capacity to believe in Christ, don't have souls, and aren't made in the image of God. Man was the only part of creation made in God's image. Therefore, animals are not. Overall, there are many reasons why animals could and couldn't be in heaven, but really we shouldn't worry about it much. Um, I truly not think that if they're not in heaven, they're in hell, because it doesn't make sense. Obviously, if they don't have a soul, they can't go to heaven or hell. Um, so, yet, I really do not think if they're not in heaven, then they are definitely not in hell. That would, that would be unjust, and God is not unjust. And really, we can leave this up for grabs, for grabs, um, and trust that God has the right plan for all animals. So you can take those passages, take the things that I've said, um, and determine it for yourself. Really, we'll see. That, that's, I think that's the point that the Bible makes. Um, and obviously, things are left up to interpretation, left up for grabs left up for whatever you want to say however you want to describe it they're left up to mystery you don't necessarily know for sure about everything and that's completely okay because in here um we don't know everything and but there is a trust factor in that there is a hope in that that we have an almighty benevolent good uh just god who judges all creatures helps all creatures, cares for all creatures, no matter if they're made in his image or not. So we can trust what the Bible says all time. And I'm not trying to make the point that it's all about us, but uh, you know, we were made in his image for a reason. And yeah, just trust him, fear him, and take what you want from that. So thank you, football fan, for that question. Now the next one, um, this one gets a bit te technical, but 
The question is, what is the Trinity to Christians slash other religions? How does it differ between denominations? Now, this one is from Squid. Um, but the Trinity is only found in Christianity. Many say it comes from paganism and such, but that's not the case. Um, obviously, no other religion affirms a Trinitarian God. And there are many cases, logically, that can be made for a Trinitarian God. But... I'm not here to argue on if it's true or not. I'm just simply here to give a definition. So many Jews who abstained from pagan influence eventually agreed to the Trinity once they believed Christ. And the Trinity is the belief that God is three persons, but still one God. And overall, we cannot fully grasp the Trinity here on earth. Now, you can um, apprehend it. You can somewhat grasp uh, grasp it to the best of your ability here, but I don't think it's possible to understand it fully. And there's no, l let me be clear, there's no good analogy for it. The Trinity, um, you know, it, there can't be a good analogy here, like the uh, ice and water and gas or vapor, or whatever you want to call it. So I don't think there are any good analogies that you can use. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise, because if you use analogies, it can definitely lead into heresy. So with that being said, um, now that we got that out of the way, the basics, between denominations, the definition of the Trinity does not change. Trinity has been clearly defined for centuries and was specifically defined when the Council of Nicaea occurred in A.D. 325. Though Christians believed it before that, there were, of course, um, if you know the history of Nicaea, uh, many bishops came to that council, and they voted on whether this was biblical or not. And I think they said that the accounts differ, but basically unanimous or there were only a few bishops disagreed. That, that's, that's the accounts on who agreed to if the Trinity is biblical or not. Because they let Arius, who denied the Trinity, give his account for what, for why Christ isn't God. And basically, every bishop voted against him, or only a few agreed. Now, that, those are the differing accounts. It doesn't matter. There were over 300 bishops at that council, so take what you want from that. Um, but obviously that shows that many Christians believed in the Trinity way before Nicaea. Obviously there were church fathers like uh, Clement of Rome who wrote on the Trinity. He wrote his epistle, First Clement, um, and had references to the Trinity in that, so... This was a firmly established belief. Now, the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed are good references for getting a definition of the Trinity. Obviously, the Nicene Creed was made at the Council of Nicaea. That was to give a good definition on what the Trinity is and what that it was to basically weed out heretics, to um, give a defense for heretics who challenged that. Now, to put it plainly, the Trinity is one God in three persons. And you may think 
really in persons in a worldly sense as we define it today, it isn't what you think in theological terms. So we can view it as God subsists in three persons. It is subsistence. Three persons is not like three separate beings, three separate, um, how do I put it? Three separate people, three separate gods. Obviously, that's not what we believe. Since God is not made up of parts, subsist means to simply exist within the one nature of God, such that each subsisting hypostasis can be identified as the one God. Now, that is difficult language. I apologize for that. But um, I got that from like a theological dictionary. So hypostasis is subsisting concrete instance of the divine nature. God is one in essence and three in being. And again, I apologize if this language is hard to understand. Definitions of Trinitarian roles and attributes about the members of the Trinity specifically Christ and the Spirit, do differ between denominations. Now, I will get back to that on differences in denominations in a minute. But these beings, these persons of God, are not three separate gods. That's what I want you to get at. But there's a unity about them, but there's also a uh, quote-unquote separation they aren't the same person if you've ever seen that diagram of God is the father God is the spirit God is the son but the spirit is not the son the father is not the son the Holy Spirit is not the father that sort of thing it they're not the same being they're not the same person they're separate but they're unified in the sense that they make up one God they and as Christ said, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So, you have this unity. There is a unity between them. There is a Trinitarian harmony. But there is also a sense of separation. They are three separate persons, but unified. One in will, one in power. And if I can pull up a definition of the Trinity, there is a quote, um, Council of Florence, I think this is what this is from. These three persons are one God and not three gods because the three have one substance, one essence, one nature, one divinity, one immensity, one eternity, and all these things are one where no opposition of relationship interferes. So it is one God. That's what I want you to get at. It is one God. And although we cannot fully grasp it, we still believe it. We still affirm it, and we still defend it. And it has been defended from heresies for centuries. So, I hope that helped. I hope that you get a better understanding. I think, um, if I can pull this up, R.C. Sproul has a great series on the Trinity. He's brilliant. But, um, it's called The Mystery of the Trinity. And he has, there's six lectures in it. They're each like 20 minutes, I think. So that may be helpful for you if you want to understand it. It is a bit technical. R.C. Sproul can get technical. But, um, yeah, that may help. I hope that does help. And, yeah, on to the next question.
So the next one is from Royale, and this one really, I don't think this one is for her specifically, but um, it's advice, if I can talk, advice for new Christians. So I'm going to give 10 things, and you can write these down if you want to. 10 things, and it's just going to be simply put, and then I'll go into more detail on what I mean by that. So the first one, develop a Bible reading, worship, and prayer habit. Now, this can be beneficial in so many ways. Bible reading, um, that's edifying. Wisdom is found in so many places in Scripture. And that, it, it can be so, so helpful. And if you develop a habit of it early, you can, you know, it'll be routine. It'll be something that you go back to and continue to go to and learn and know. And a good way, a good place to start is the Gospels. A good place to start is um, can be Genesis if you want. I have found myself, personally, if I did start in Genesis, to be kind of uh, real, well, confused, yes, but more just discouraged because I didn't really get the point of what was being said there until I listened to sermons and preachers on it and looked for advice on... And I would get advised to start in the Gospels. And so that can definitely be helpful. But always, always go to the Word. Always go to the Bible. And that is the most important thing. It doesn't matter where you start. Each place, each book in the Bible is equally inspired. And um, it that can be so helpful. Now, worship. Worship. Um, turn on some worship music now. I would advise you stay away from Bethel, Hillsong, <laughs> Elevation, whatever it is, because that's not, you know, that they have, they, their church preaches false gospels, and that can definitely translate into the songs. So, this worship habit can also be very, very helpful. If you get into a habit of worship, just sit down for 10, 15 minutes each day, open Spotify, whatever. Search for some hymns online. You can find them. You can look them up. I, If you uh, want to, you can join the Discord server and we can help you <laughs> find some worship music. There are tons of songs you can go to, tons of things you can find. Um, but yeah, sing out, praise him, and worship. Worship doesn't even have to be with music. It can be, you know, you can sing yourself, you can pray, you can praise him, whatever. And so as for prayer, this is extremely helpful. I read a booklet by J.C. Ryle, if you know who he is. He is an um, Anglican who, he's long ago, about 200 years, and it's called A Call to Prayer. If you want to read it, I can, if you want to ask me, I can give it to you. Or if you want to um, look it up, look up for a PDF. Uh, just look up a call to prayer PDF. But yeah, that that really put in a, put it into perspective on the importance of prayer. And having a prayer habit can guard you from so many temptations. Can be so edifying. Can be relaxing, peaceful. Um, as First Peter five seven it says, cast all your anxieties on the Lord because He cares. So. This habit is extremely helpful. All of these habits are, and they definitely can help. 
Now the second one is stay away from any and all sin. Now this seems like simple advice. You as a new convert know the reality of sin. It separates you from God. It is very dangerous. It is like a plague that is spread from generation to generation. But it's really not that simple as staying away. I mean, it is that simple, but it's not that simple in the sense that, oh, I already got that. So sin can be very enticing and easily addictive. All sin is addictive, but um, some things are easier to do than others because of your situation, how you can access these ways to do the sin. Um, and so it, if you stay away and watch what you do, watch what, what you're watching, what you're seeing, what you're surrounding yourself with, what you are, um, you know, learning, reading things that you are letting into your mind day by day can definitely pollute you and cause you to fall into a sin habit. Now, Am I calling you to be perfect? Yes, in a sense. Christ said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But if you do fall, which you will, if you do, or let me change that, when you do fall, um, don't be downcast. Don't be upset. Know that you were saved by grace alone. And it is only the gift of God. And your sin does not make you lose your salvation and as Paul said in Romans 8 at the end of, Ro- end of Romans 8 um, what can separate us from the love of God and the answer nothing so stay away from it guard your heart don't let anything that you think um, may be addictive may be something that is spiraling and and gradually building up into more and more repetitive sins, then cut out your eye. Get rid of it. Don't stay away from things that you know are wrong, according to God's word. And seek the wisdom in his word about these things. Now the third is get the basics down. Get the basics of the gospel, the trinity, what salvation is by, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Get these basics down. These basics can be so helpful, especially um, when you may be having a bad day or you are just going through and you kind of get caught up with all these other things and you sit back down and you're reminded of the gospel. You're reminded of what it is, what Christ has done. And it, it you know, you think if you've heard it this much, if you've heard the gospel that many times, you would think, how is this not old yet? But it doesn't get old. That It doesn't ever get old. So that's why the basics can be so useful. If you just get the basics down of what the gospel is, the trinity, who God is, what he does, um, salvation, atonement, all of that, then this can be extremely helpful, especially if you are firmly grounded in these basics. Um, and you are attacked by heresy, by unbelievers, by whatever it may be. You can go back to these basics and have them firmly planted and 
know them when you are attacked and defend against those. And of course you can learn those basics and understand them to where you can understand why they are that way, why those things are uh, are fact in the Bible, are you know how and why God does certain things, and those basics can uh, be defended. So the fourth one is go to church. Simply go to church every Sunday. Go to church. Be involved. Be part of the community. You don't know how helpful that can be. It's so edifying to, um, you know, worship and then hear a sermon and just be part of a community of believers. If you're not sure what to do de- denomination-wise, what you are, what, uh, where to go to, then just test out different denominations. Visit church to church. See what is the most biblical. Be like the Bereans in Acts 17 when they would scan the Bible during preaching. See if what the preacher was saying was biblical. And, um, you know, be a part of the community. Understand, see what you need to know. Obviously, if you're switching from church to church each Sunday, trying to figure it out, you can't really be part of a settled community yet. But that shouldn't discourage you from the fact that you need to be a part of a community of believers. And you will eventually figure it out. You will eventually understand and know what uh, what is right. Because it, it did take me a while. took me a while to, and I'm sure it took many others a while to figure out um, what church to go to. So, simply put, go to church every Sunday. Now, number five. Do not despair when tribulation, persecution, hardship, whatever, comes. Don't despair. It will come. It is guaranteed that believers will not experience um, the most pleasant of times. But do not despair. That is the most important thing. Continue in your Bible reading. Continue in prayer. You may question why God is allowing these things. But in the end, you'll see why he allowed it. So don't despair. Don't go into utter sadness and depression over these hardships in your life. And I want you to know that believers are pretty much guaranteed hardship. And that may seem like a bad thing, but it it is for the ultimate good. It is for the ultimate uh, kingdom, the ultimate goal. So, don't despair. Don't be overly upset. Continue on. Perseverance. That is the most important thing during that. Perseverance. And there are many times when tribulation and hardship would come to believers in the early church, especially during Emperor Nero, who was a cruel persecutor of Christians. And there would be many Christians who were burned. They would be killed and brutally martyred and um, you know many would kind of question how in the world are they so happy how are they able to go to such a place and not denounce their faith you know you can easily get out of it by just denouncing your faith but these Christians didn't and that's such a beautiful truth of the gospel because you realize and you see that hey there is a joy there. There is something there. There's something special there. 
And so you can find peace, you can find happiness, you can find joy even in the midst of tribulation because your Savior has redeemed you. Not because of anything you've done, but because you still have your Savior. Because you have a gift that can't be lost. The sixth thing is get baptized. Now, I understand if you are a new Christian and you know you don't know denominations and all of that, then getting baptized is going to be a bit more difficult. But if you do figure out everything denominationally, then by all means, get baptized. Because um, I know there are differing views. Everyone has a different opinion on what baptism does. But ultimately, they know that baptism has an effect. Every denomination affirms that. And so I would just advise to get baptized as soon as possible. Now, I think most denominations, as long as you baptize in the Trinity, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, you know, it's a valid baptism. You can, if you switch denominations later, then you don't need to be rebaptized or anything like that. So, it's good, and I think that's the beautiful thing about baptism. So, my advice, get baptized. So, the seventh thing is don't expect perfection or to know absolutely everything. It takes time to know these things. See, when I was um, really being called out of lukewarmness, I would go on Discord servers, go on um, you know, different Google... Google's a great example, um, YouTube, and all of that, and I would try to find answers to my questions. I would try to figure out everything, and then they would try. They would explain it in terms I wouldn't understand, and I was just impatient. I was really impatient with learning everything, and I'm not saying I know everything now, but I've progressed a long way to learning things. And um, but don't expect yourself to know it. Don't expect yourself to be perfect in knowledge. Be perfect in um, knowing these theological concepts. Because things can be very complicated for us. They can be... It, it takes time. But, as I said before, the stupidest man on earth can understand the gospel. And that's not to be derogatory or anything, but that's how simple the gospel is. That's to exalt the beauty of the gospel. And so... Also, don't expect perfection. If you expect yourself to just abstain from every sin, then that's not the right expectation. Now, should you strive to be walk by the Spirit, to be um, less sinful, to get rid of sin? Absolutely. But does that mean you should expect yourself to be perfect, and if you fail, then you've absolutely failed everything at... That's, no, not by any means, no. You don't need to expect that, and that's not a good expectation. And again, I want to reiterate the fact that you are saved by grace alone. It is by grace. So, don't expect to know everything. Don't expect perfection when it comes to sin, especially um, when you become a Christian. Romans 7 puts this perfectly. You are going to experience increased temptation because you realize the things that you did wrong 
you didn't really know um, what was wrong. You knew like the basic things, Ten Commandments, all that. You obviously knew lying was wrong. You knew stealing, all of that. But there are other things that you didn't know. There are other things that maybe weren't as excited, at, didn't get as excited. What I mean is didn't get provoked, didn't get um, alerted. And things will be tougher for you as far as temptation goes. And that's not to cause despair. That's not to cause you to doubt or anything. But it's just to say, hey, you're going to be attacked. And you need. that's why getting the basics down, that's why... Um, Bible reading, prayer, worship, all of that is important. That's why developing those habits are important. And so they can help you guard against those things. But not expecting perfection is going to um, also help. So back to knowing everything. Um, this one was really difficult for me because I am the type of person that if I don't get something on if I don't understand it on the first try, I am discouraged. I'm going to be upset just because I want to know everything. I want to know, like if I'm interested in a subject, I want to know absolutely everything about it. And that's just not the case. It takes time. And so if you are interested, if you are wanting to know more, then read books. Books are a great example. YouTube is also a great, when I say example, books are a great resource YouTube is a great resource, um, but as always, be careful with what you look at. Be careful, you know. Use discretion. Use the Bible to see what it says about it. it could very well be spreading heresy. Um, you just got to watch out, of course. So, those are great resources if you want to know everything, <laughs> like like I did. But um, in all seriousness, you won't get to know everything. Um, not even if you read a theological book a day till the day you died, you wouldn't know everything. And I think it's left up to mystery on purpose. But don't expect perfection and don't expect to know absolutely everything. So we move on to verse 8. and Not verse 8. Why did I say verse 8? Tip 8. Online Christian communities are a blessing and a curse. So... Discord, as you know, I we run a, or I run a Christian Discord server, but, you know, articles, forums, um, YouTube, all of these can be a blessing and a curse, because on, you can find sound preaching on YouTube, you can find sound doctrine, you can find great things on there, things that are edifying, things you wouldn't normally find if you didn't have the internet. But they can also be a curse because you find conflicting ideas, conflicting um, just principles. You find heresy on there. Um, it seems like with online Christian communities, there is a lot more Arianism and a lot more uh, Trinity denying people. I don't know why. Like... They're just people with weird views sometimes, and it <laughs> it confuses me. I don't know why, but that's definitely um, a needed thing. You need discretion. You need wisdom. That's why the Bible is always uh, pivotal for that. So, as always, like I said in the last tip, 
be careful. Be just absolutely careful with what you look at. Always, you know, you don't have to be superstitious or anything about every everything you look at, but just be careful about what you see, what you read, what you hear, and don't let your mind be changed at every little thing. View it through the Word of God. Think about it. Contemplate it. Don't immediately change. I think that's the best thing. And um, as far as the blessing goes, you can have great fellowship. You can run Bible studies. You can uh, encounter people that you would never met ever. So I think that is the great blessing. And you can encounter these theologians who are from of old, who are you've never you've heard about, you've seen, but you never really got to interact with what they've made, and that's the beauty of it. So, and you can find it all for free. That's the best thing. So, um, just be careful. Don't spend too much time because it can become an idol. Um, and also remember that online Christian communities are not a replacement for church. There is a physical aspect of church, the building. You need to be, I know the church is a body of believers, but you need to be physically present with believers, in my opinion. So just be careful. Use discretion, blessing, and a curse. So we move on to number nine, and this is seek the things of God diligently. Now this relates to worship, prayer, Bible reading, um, wisdom, Peace, patience, all the fruits of spirit, things that are of God, things that are good. As Paul says in Philippians 4, meditate on whatever is good, pure, holy, all of that. So seek those things. Walk by the Spirit diligently. You know, don't let your don't yeah, don't let yourself go astray too much. Um, don't let yourself go wherever you want. Don't let your passions control you. Seek the things of God diligently and always. And so the last tip, number 10, start out your day with Bible reading and prayer. Now, this, for me, I didn't expect it to have that much of an impact on my life, but it has, it's changed a lot, and it is very helpful. So if you're looking to boost your day, if you just find yourself always starting out on the wrong foot, try that immediately without even touching the ground. Get, you know, set the night before, set your Bible on your bed, or I mean on your nightstand, um, or on the ground, or wherever, whatever you have, and read it. Read it and then, you know, just read like a chapter, read a psalm, read a few psalms. Only, I only take really 15 minutes, but you should probably do more. Um, do that and pray. Pray for the day. Pray for strength. You know, in the morning it is kind of hard because you got to think up all these things, but it comes with time. It's sort of a training exercise, and it's so helpful. It really gets your mind started on the day, and it can help with those habits because you're doing it as soon as you wake up. So I would recommend that. Um, that has been very helpful for me. So, that's it for the advice for new Christians. Um, now we move on to 
the five points of Calvinism and Arminianism. And this is from Smart Cookie. This is I apologize if these things are kind of old. Um, I know you sent them a while ago, so you may not have the same questions or whatever. But um, Smart Cookie wanted to know about this. And what I'm going to do for this, I don't want to argue the validity of them. And I hope that it may come across as that, but I hope I don't. It, I just want to define the terms. I want to define the differences. And if you're an Arminian, please correct me. Please, um, you know, help me if I do get something wrong. So, I'm going to go, since Arminians don't really have a, they do have a response to it, but they don't have an acronym and confessions and all of that. Um, I'm just going to give the Calvinism definition of TULIP and then give the Arminian response to it. So, total depravity. As a Calvinist would say, man is radically evil and depraved of God. Man is dead and unable to come to God. So, he is literally dead. And um, R.C. Sproul and Stephen J. Lawson like to joke... And they say, what can a dead man do? Well, nothing. So, unable to come to God. A dead man can't come to God because, well, he's dead. A dead man can't do anything. <laughs> Much less breathe. So, obviously this is dead in the spiritual sense. Because Adam, he died on the day that he ate the fruit. And so, he's unable to come to God. Now, an Arminian would really agree with most of this. They would agree with the radically evil nature. Um, of course, all of these responses do depend from Arminian to Arminian. Um, really, denominationally, it depends. But they would overall agree with total depravity. The only difference is they believe that you would be able to come to God. So, yes, you are radically evil, but they would say, you are able to come to God. You can choose, of course. So, on to you, unconditional election. Um, a Calvinist, obviously the Calvinist definition is, God chooses who gets eternal life without looking at anything they've done in the future. Looking at any um, signs of belief, even though God knows that, but he doesn't look at that. He ignores that for his election. He chooses who is elected. So, obviously we would say, if someone does believe, it's because God chose him before he did believe. Now, an Arminian response would be, God sort of looks down the corridors, corridors of time, he looks down the timeline, and sees if this person chooses to believe in him. So, I can't really, I don't think I really have anything to add on to unconditional election. Um, it, I think it's a bit different. As we go along, it does differ quite a bit more than total depravity. So, on to L, limited atonement. Now, this, <laughs> this is a cause for lots of controversy. This is a cause for many uh, debates and people don't really understand. I affirm it completely. It it makes sense to me, but um, others don't believe it, and 
I hope to clear that up a bit. So, limited atonement. Christ's atonement is limited to believers only, to the elect. Now, if you believe, let me let me get this out of the way. If you believe, you are elect. You are part of the elect. If you are a true believer. Now, if I can argue a bit, <laughs> um, I know I said I wouldn't do that, but here we go. Anyway, um, the question I must ask you is, did Jesus die for people in hell? Because that would mean his sacrifice is only efficient for those who aren't in hell. And that wouldn't make it a fully unlimited, unlimited in the sense that of its power, of its efficacy. So, anyway, the Arminians would say Jesus died for everyone, but people need to, quote-unquote, accept the sacrifice. They need to choose it. So he did die for everyone, but not in the sense that everyone gets the grace needed for heaven. So, most Arminians, if you're not a heretic, um, would they wouldn't affirm universalism. Even if Jesus died everyone died for everyone, they would say not everyone goes to heaven. So now we move on to I, irresistible grace. And so the Calvinist definition is God's grace, which is given to the elect, is irresistible. It cannot be resisted. And Arminians will object and say, well, it is resistible. The, you know. I think that ties back into their view of atonement. Since Christ died for everyone, they can resist the grace that has been bestowed upon people. Um, They can, you know, since he died for everyone, they can choose to resist that grace that has been offered to them, since they can choose to reject it. So, his grace given for salvation cannot be resisted. And I hope that explanation made sense. But it it really ties into their view of atonement. And, you know, you have to accept the sacrifice. And that grace is offered and bestowed to all, but it's not... Um, not all will accept it. And that's where it goes into resistible grace in their view. So... Now, perseverance slash preservation of the saints. So some Amarians, Arminians do affirm this point. They do believe believers will keep their salvation. Now this really would be with uh, Southern Baptists, Independent Fundamental Baptists, all of those, mainly Baptists. And they say believers will keep their salvation. They once saved, always saved. Now, I know <laughs> I know you Presbyterians are cringing right now. They don't like the language of once saved, always saved, but that's how I, as a Baptist, define it. But some Armenians do affirm this point, some don't. Um, I think Methodists might get, be a good example. Um, I don't really know Roman Catholics. Roman Catholics are Armenians for the most part. Um, obviously they believe that you can lose your salvation. So this is essentially this point in a Calvinist view is that all the elect will be kept. All true believers 
will believe for however long they're on this earth and they will be kept by Christ and they won't be lost. So that's it for the five points of Calvinism and Arminianism. Thank you all for the questions. That's it for this episode. Um, thank you to Smart Cookie, to Royale, to Squid, to Football Fan. And I hope these answers were helpful. If you want to follow up, if you want to clarify, by all means, please DM me. Um, the forum to post your suggestions will be in the description of this podcast, whatever you're listening to it on. I want to thank you all for listening to this, whoever listened to this. I hope this cleared up doubts. Um, if any of you, not just limited to the one, limited to the ones who asked me the questions, if any of you want to clarify, please ask me. So, um, thank you all for this. Thank you all for listening in and I hope you all have a great and blessed night or day. God bless you all.